Welcome to Eye on the Ball. This is Garrett Rands. I'm here with Pastor Tim Everett and Dr. Tricia Scribner. Uh, welcome back. This is part two of a discussion that we started about origins. And I would say that approaching everything from the viewpoint of stewardship, there's no better way to spend your time than studying the Word of God and all of the things that uh, we have to combat in our society. Uh, studying creation and origins is, is of great value. These are questions that people have, that all of us have. And I think they're worth our study and our time. I think it's a, a, a way to be a good steward of your time. It's much more important to know the answers to these questions and to study the possibilities here than it is to really study whatever it is that your favorite celebrity is doing right now. And that tends to be the, the typical way that our society spends their time on Facebook and uh, other news outlets that are of things that really don't matter. This matters. And that's why I love studying this. I love reading books on this topic, even though I don't like to read. But on this topic, I have read a lot of books, and it is, uh, it is something that makes me read and makes me question everything that I've been taught. And so, uh, Dr. Scribner, would you please kind of review the three different uh, main categories that we have when it comes to origins? Absolutely. And I think that you want Brother Tim to, we're going to get you to jump in here. I'll just cover one of them. And then Brother Tim's going to help us to see what that person might look like in the pew. And that will be a, a pastor's perspective and very helpful, I think. The first view that we talked about was probably the view that the majority of us in the Deep South, in the at least the 60s, 70s, maybe even a little later than that, were taught. And that's the young earth creationism view. For young earth creationists, all living things uh, were created as different kinds. And a young earth creationist would say that's what the scripture teaches. It, it teaches specifically in Genesis 1 and 2 that things are created according to their kinds, meaning there are kinds of beings. There's a horse net that shows hoarseness. It may not be down to the biological species level, but there are large groups of kinds that are distinct from one another. And specifically, humans were created as a distinct kind. De novo is the fancy word for, for it. it, just means that humans were created new. We are the progenitors, the first of the human race. There are no other human-like creatures, humanoids, preceding us. Uh, into which a soul was uh, uh, put by God and made it human. But we're created as distinct new kinds of beings. And because of that, we're image bearers of God. And young earthers would hold very strongly to this notion of image bearing of God. And um, especially in, in terms of how we can relate to God in ways that no other kind of being can and we have this moral awareness of rightness and wrongness that no other beings do so we're a new kind of being created in his very image with a capacity for intimate fellowship with him they would also say then that the earth is thousands of years old it varies somewhere between six and ten thousand years old not billions of years old and the majority of them would reject then the geological timetable and the fossil uh, timing, the fossil dating that goes along with that, that grows out of that geological timetable. They also hold to what we would, uh, what we as Christians call the fall. In other words, an historical event, not a gradual occurrence of moral awareness, but an historical event by two human beings, uh, which the scriptures labels as the man Adam and Eve, and that they fell, that is, they rebelled 
against God. And from that point on, there was a curse on the earth, uh, according to Romans. And that this curse for them impacted um, both humans as well as animals. So for young earth creationists, one thing that we didn't discuss last time was the very fact that young earth creationists would argue that there was no animal death, not only no human death, but no animal death preceding the fall. And so we find very few in the scientific community probably that hold to young earth creationism, though there are within Institute of Creation Research research and answers in Genesis scientists who do hold to the young earth creationist view. And so Brother Tim, we were just talking about a few minutes before we came on, we thought it'd be great. Give us your perspective of um, what this young earth creationist might look like in your church or in the community. Okay. Two stereotypes, one from early in my ministry and one uh, from the latter days. Uh, Forty years ago, as I was getting started in ministry, a young creationist was an elderly person who was largely influenced by, you know, the King James Version of the Scripture and, and, and really the, the Schofield Bible, um, you know, influenced by Darby that had the footnotes. Um, the, the earth was created in 4004 B.C. You know, they added up the, the years of all of uh, the patriarchs in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so, you know, counting backwards, they got to that, that date where on that Monday, you know, at nine o'clock, I guess, God began creation and he wrapped it, or no, I guess Sunday, and then wrapped it up before the Sabbath. And they equated the footnotes of the Bible with the text itself and were greatly offended if anyone uh, talked about either, certainly evolution, but I think also old earth creationism, very defensive at that point. The Bible says seven days and I believe the Bible. And so that's what I believe. And so that was the stereotypical. I remember having a conversation with an elderly person when I was in college, and and I leaned then and probably still do toward old earth creationism. But I said, what about the fossils? He said, well, God put them there to fool people. <laughs> and I knew the, the, the discussion was over, you know, at that point. So uh, they firmly knew what they believed, did not want to consider anything else. Uh, anything else was not believing the Bible. Now I see it's, it's a lot of um, people who are reacting just against the secular humanist age they've grown up in. Uh, a lot of young adult males, particularly, uh, who are looking for handles to hang on to, you know, to argue creation against evolution, and then have been influenced by some, you know, pretty good sites of Helm and some others, you know, who uh, who have read something about it, and and uh, they're angry at how our nation has changed, how Western civilization has changed, and. So they've gravitated toward young earth theory as, as just some handles to hang on to, to argue for. Most are not well read on the subject, but they trust the people who are experts in it. Yes, a couple of the other experts that I know of within that community uh, would be Jason Lyle. I know he was in a debate at the National Christian Conference uh, on a National Conference on Christian Apologetics the young earth view and there was a debate at that conference a few years ago that people could pull up and then henry morris 
as well as Ken Ham. And so you've got Answers in Genesis Answers and in Genesis Institute and, yeah. for Creation Research, which I mentioned last time, just so that our listeners can kind of go, okay, I'm overwhelmed. Where do I go? So those are two Young Earth uh, Dr. organizations. Dr. Ken Hovind is another one that, that, that's in that okay. category. And, uh, you know, and we're not endorsing any of this. We're, we're just saying it's all worth a read. Yeah. And, you know, we're not saying that any of these individuals as people that we know them or know their stance or their their faith life or, or any of that. We're just saying they've done a lot of research, they've written books, and I think that they're worthy of a read if you like this subject. Yeah. and Even, even, even if you don't, it's worthy of a read. And it's right. always good, even if you don't agree with someone, to understand how they think, isn't it? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the best way to talk to people and to be able to engage them in conversation. I think my greatest weakness and one reason I'm in apologetics is because I so quickly, quickly want to be right and cut off, the, and I end up cutting off the conversation, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that. I know it's a, a sinful tendency on my part, and I'm working with it to submit myself to the Holy Spirit quite constantly. To, to make sure that that doesn't continue to happen. So even if I don't agree with their view, it's, as Garrett said, worth a read and exploring. And then I can at least go, okay, I'm better informed, and this is the reason I don't think that's probably true. Amen. Okay. Now, the second view you had mentioned, uh, sharing all three of the big umbrella views. So we've covered young earth. Now, the old earth creationist would be quite different from the young earth in terms of their acceptance of current contemporary scientific thinking on the geological timetable. That is, the Earth is billions of years old, with the universe being approximately 14.3 billion years old, and that the fossils fall within the geological timetable across eons of time. And one interesting thing, though, that many old Earth creationists will argue is that the Cambrian explosion, which occurred, I think it's 5.3 billion years ago. I could be off on that. But the Cambrian explosion is extremely critical in the scientific data for Christians to understand and to be able to share about. Look up the Cambrian explosion uh, from the old Earth perspective, perspective, C-A-M-B-R-I. A-N. And what the Cambrian explosion shows in the fossil record is sudden emergence of distinct body plans of a variety of animal forms that are not transitional. And so this is a strong piece of evidence in light of creationism that, that they are created according to distinct kinds, but from an old earth perspective that it occurred over eons of time instead of in 24-hour days as a young earth creationist would hold. Young Earth creationists would also hold that the Hebrew word yom or yom. Brother Tim can help us with that pronunciation. How do you? Yom. Yom. Uh, that, that can mean more than 24 hours. And in fact, even in normal language, the word day is used in a variety of ways. And sometimes it can refer to uh, um, large amounts of time. That's one of the central pieces. They also believe that death occurred before the fall. In other words, animal uh, death was prevalent before the fall. It wasn't a result of the fall. They would argue, or at least I've heard some of them argue, that that when Romans 5 talks about the curse that came upon mankind, that it's specific to mankind, that it was humans and human death to which Paul is referring there, not animal death. And that animal death is a natural uh, course 
of events in that it's the nature of a predator to be a predator and the prey to be the prey. And that is the way that uh, God designed it. It's not an evil, a natural evil, so to speak, in and of, it, of itself as a result of the fall. And that's one of the views, uh, views of old earth creationism. And then I happen to mention also that as I understand it, the old earth creationist view is much more, um, is it heterogeneous? There are a lot of, dis there's some subheads under that. One would be the day-age view in which Yom refers to vast eons of time. And if you want to learn more about that, an uh, organization with which I'm working called Reasons to Believe, and I'm in their uh, scholars community studying and learning because even though I tend to lean still toward young earth, they've accepted me into that to learn from them. Can I be persuaded? We will see. And I'm working with them and I don't have a problem with them in terms of them being um, orthodox in their view, even if I disagree with their view right now. So that's the day-age view and reasons to believe is an organization. And they're highly credentialed scientists, folks. You have credentialed philosophers. And when I say credentialed, they are doctoral degrees. And the only reason that matters is not for you and me as we discuss to have a label behind our name that makes us or what we say more valid, but because if you're going to have scientists debating scientists and scientific arguments debating scientific arguments, it's very nice to have someone who's not just speaking off the cuff about their opinion, but say, no, this is a way I interpret this in scientific evidence, and this is the reason why I do that. And so they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these scientists within their own community, and that's good to know people who can do that. So then the day-age view is one view under that. The gap theory is another and these folks would hold that there's a large gap of time between Genesis 1-1, in which in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then verse 2, in which we find the earth void and empty, and that a recreation actually occurs because of this whatever terrible catastrophe hurt occurred between the two. Uh, I think the view is through demonic forces. Y'all might be able to help me there, through demonic forces that required a recreation. And then that recreation occurred in seven days. And then a third view I recently came across was John Lennox's view. And actually, if I were an old earther, I'd find it the most compelling because he believes that God did create in 24-hour time periods, but that there were vast periods of time between them. And I'll have to study that more, so John Lennox will forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing his view, but that's another view that you might want to read in, um, is it six days that divide the world or seven days that divide the world? I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it may be six days that divide the world since those are the creation days. But John Lennox, mathematician at Oxford, a Christian and one of the most gracious debaters with Richard Dawkins that you will ever find if you want to see how to talk to a non-Christian who is snarky. And I, I got to meet him once, just very briefly, but uh, his whole demeanor speaks Jesus. I think that's all that I want to say. So sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, old earth creationists would say, applies to mankind not to pre-fall animal death. So who, who would you say, Brother Tim, you see that's an yeah, old, the earth old earth creationist? Uh, what do they look like in the pew? I think typically it's someone who reads Genesis 1 and 2 as poetry. Uh, you know, the Bible's meant to be read the way it's written, and there's in the, in the Bible there's poetry, there's history, there's sermons, uh, prophecy. Um, I think um, they would say, I agree, you know, with Genesis 1 and 2, but I interpret it more poetically. Maybe this, and so much of what 
informs our views of creation or end time views. It should be the other way around, but I think most people, you know, like back to the young creation uh, minded, um, they have a tendency to be premillennial dispensational in their end time view. So their creation philosophy has to fit that view. We're fitting creation into end time view. And uh, so I think that a lot of amillennial people who, uh, I think a lot of people who are trying to, to, to compromise faith and science or compromise um, biblical knowledge with secular education. I, I think a lot, I'll see, for example, in the pew, uh, uh, a college-educated Christian who maybe grew up in a fundamentalist church, a conservative church, and then they went off to college and they became a nurse or you know, went on to med school and became a doctor. So they're trying to balance the two. We think of uh, rendering to Caesar what's his and to God what, as a political statement, but there's, there's also this, this idea of I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm also a citizen of the kingdom of man, and how do I balance the two? And so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of truthfulness to it, but I think the pathway to it for a lot of people is this helps me compromise my, my views of faith and science. So when you and say compromise in this way, you don't mean it in a bad way. I mean You're it both ways. Reconcile. Not, well, I mean it both ways. I mean okay. reconciled, but then in some case, you know, that's a positive thing. And then I think compromise sometimes, which is a negative thing, because sometimes we departmentalize our lives, which is we shouldn't do. But it, it depends on our application of it. But so you're if, you're a, if you're a Christian at work, if you're a Christian at church, you're a Christian at work, you're, you're a Christian right. in your views of everything. And so that's what would be negative okay. if there's the idea of I hold in one hand, you know, what I believe about science and another thing, what I believe about the Bible. And I compartmentalize my life to hold both. That, that's a negative thing. I do think that it is a, a real way of understanding the Bible in light of the scientific methods, which was actually created, invented by the church. You know, in, in Western civilization, it was uh, Christian scientists who came up with the scientific method. And so we challenge, it, it's the answer to the how question of creation. The who question and the why question are more important than the how. And uh, the Bible's true in every way in which it speaks, but the how God created the earth is not explained in detail. And so is in our efforts to fill in the gap, I think a lot of old age, a lot of old earth creationists see that this is the way to have a strong biblical view of creation that fits the narrative of education and scientific data. So they found, and in that sense, that's, that's compromised in a good way. Okay, so if you were to lean toward old earth creationism, what you would say is then, if I'm understanding correctly, clarify for me, that it's the way we get at that. It's not the view itself that, that you have a problem with in terms of old earth creationism, but the how we come to that view. If it's if it's a compromise because we're compartmentalizing mm-hmm. yeah. and we're putting it over here, of course, a lot of those people end up not believing the Bible. That's what's mm-hmm. eventually going to go. That's the case, and that's yeah, how those they come to that. Yeah, s- slippery you know, slope idea. But, you know, but typically when I look out into a, a congregation, I think the college educated or the tip who have maintained their faith, or at least to the point that they're still involved in church, have found a way of fusing those two beliefs together. Not to say that it's not true. I mean, it could be true. And that's really kind of where I stand, not neatly, but that's pretty much where I am. So, so yeah, Tim, you, you hold are you lean, lean towards toward, the old earth? Yeah, uh-huh. And Dr. Scribner, you lean towards young earth 
as do I, but I have all of these these issues with either one. And so one of the, the issues that I have with the old earth and, and holding to the way that things are dated, I have, a, I have an issue with carbon dating. I have an issue with the ability of the half-life of carbon to be constant in any environment. I have an issue with the ability, and we, we, we talked about this uh, in between sessions here, I have a problem with the way that we assume that the speed of light has always been the same and has always been a constant. I mean, speed travels in both waves and particles. And, and so I have issues with the scientific information that is presented to us by evolutionists. One question that I would ask the two of you, this is something I've not studied a lot. What is a creationist, whether young or old, what is a creationist belief in the reasons that the Bible says that Adam lived for such a long period of time and Methuselah? Scientifically, how do we say that somebody lived 983 years when we've never seen anything close to that in a modern scientific era? What is the creationist view on how that was possible? It would be have to do with uh, degradation of the DNA. And that's about the, as far as I can go with it. <laughs> <laughs> the degradation of DNA over time. And, and one thing we do notice, Brother Tim can attest to this and clarify for us, but my understanding is up until the point of the, of the flood, right? There mm-hmm. seems to be a dramatic change from, from that time, time par- forward. There was no rain prior to the flood. Mm. What scripture tells us, there was no rain. Right. The, the, the people of earth had never seen rain before. The mist mm-hmm. arose. But what, yeah. But, but in terms of the length of life, um, something to do with the degradation of the DNA. And it is, it is spoken to by Christian scientists who are scientists, which I'm not. And we could study that a little bit more. But, but that it has to do with that. And I, I can't remember. There are some very specific things that have been said about that that I have come across some research that I can't pull up to mind. So maybe we can make that a little bit more of a future conversation. Yeah, and one of the things is... is Falls a, under the heading of the, of the fall. You know, the idea of God created us in his image, which should live forever. And so the fall brought death. And I agree. There's, it's kind of like a, you make a copy of an original and then a copy of that copy and a copy of that. So it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. If you ever watched the show, the did you ever watch the movie Multiplicity? Uh, no. With... Uh, I don't remember. I can't remember that mm-hmm. great actor. Mm-hmm. Hilarious, but that's exactly what happened. By the time you get to the eighth copy of the copy of the copy, copy of the he copy was a, of the it was a human being. It was a very, yeah. very goofy human being. <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, yeah. that's yeah. the the concept. But the, but we know through the fall, the degradation of the of the DNA um, occurred in our understanding as as Christians as part of the curse. Now it doesn't explain in my mind, which I know there are responses to, and I need to look up why it was such a change. So quickly so before the flood you have many hundreds of years almost up to a thousand and then after it goes down to what 200 and then begins to quickly decline uh and i'll have to i'll have to go back and look that up i just don't know and i'm probably speaking about things i i shouldn't be speaking about i bet you'll get callers who know more about this who can help us out one of the other issues that is often brought up speaking about the flood in in specifically is that uh, there's a, a known world at that time that was obviously centralized around Israel, the Middle East, and that the flood was over the whole earth that was known at that time. And how God could have created the flood, obviously from rain, obviously from water rising up, but also from a natural disaster that occurred, like a meteorite, or there are other possibilities that are there of what all God used to flood the entire earth. 
And we see evidence of this anywhere that you go and you travel. You go to any national park, any state park, it doesn't matter where you go. There is fossil evidence of sea creatures at the highest peaks of the earth. In evolutionist minds, proves part of their theory. In my brain, in my mind, it proves the flood of Noah. You know, or, or however, it's not Noah's flood, but that's that's kind of how we label it. And so we have evidence here that the earth was flooded, and we have sea creatures at the, the highest peaks of the earth. We know that the flood happened. We know that there was a major change. It is a possibility that the oxygen level after the flood was different. And so uh, whether it be a lower amount of oxygen or, or whatever it is that, that God used in order to shorten the lives of human beings, uh, which we know that he did. Uh, scripture tells us that he limited the days of man to 120 not to say that there's not somebody that lives to be 121 or 122, but in general, our lives are much, much shorter now than, say, the lives of Adam or Methuselah. We, we know that some things occurred because we believe in Scripture. We have fossil evidence of things that coincide or, or agree with Scripture. If we had a major change and you're looking at all of this and you're, you're trying to lay it out and you go, okay, so we've got changes in the earth, wouldn't that also tend to suggest, and this is opinion, of course, wouldn't that also tend to suggest that the way that things age other than human beings, they age differently as well, like rocks, carbon in any way, like light. And maybe there was uh, not only was something happening on earth at that time, maybe something was happening in the heavens as well that changed the speed of light. These are all possibilities that I think are interesting to think about. And we don't have the answers to them and we're not gonna have the answers to them. We're so small. And that's one of the things that studying creation makes us realize is, is how small we are and how big God is, uh, how big our earth is, how big the universe is, our solar system. That's what just makes, it, it puts me in awe. Anytime that we discuss this, discussing the possibilities of how God did things, just puts me in awe of him. It doesn't make me question who he is or how great he is. It just puts me that much more in awe of, of who he is. That's the two views. Mm -hmm. Now we have the third view. The third be, view. Um, the theistic evolutionary view. And I will say this, Tim, just by recognizing something you said and how, how theistic evolutionists use that phrase. Whenever you say that it's not so important how God created as who and why, that's one of the arguments they use for evolution. That doesn't mean the statement isn't right. correct. I, mm -hmm. I believe that yep. in the big picture that, Absolutely. that that's mm -hmm. the important point. But mm -hmm. it's interesting, isn't it, that they take that to say, okay, then you should consider evolution mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it's not as Im important uh, who and why, how it's not as important. And so that opens the door to considering, would you consider theistic evolution? So for the theistic evolutionists, they say that a personal creator God, so right now I'm talking about a theistic kind of God, and that would be a personal creator, somehow, because there are a variety of methods that are proposed, but mostly Darwin's view of natural selection and mutations. Somehow he used evolution to bring about all life forms. All life forms then from the first cell or group of cells that that uh, came about from coalescence of chemicals within an early pond, warm pond, as they say. Yeah, the soup. Uh, the soup, mm -hmm. primordial soup, came together. And 
a biological creature arose out of that or several, okay? And from there, uh, DNA information did not deteriorate. Instead, DNA and information was added over time and instead of devolving, things evolve into higher and higher levels. Now, biologists won't say it as higher and higher levels, but it's hard to debate that there's something higher and more uh, lofty about a human mind than an amoeba. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go with the molecular biologist who said to me, "Well, biologists wouldn't say that humans are higher." I've, the average person would not even agree with that. Uh, I don't care who you are. I'm smarter than your cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we'll, we'll leave it at that and recognize that biologists might frame that differently, but that the first cell evolved over time to account for presently all the current complexity and diversity that we see on the earth today and that's existed throughout time and for which we have a fossil record. And this means that in general, theistic evolutionists argue for common ancestry. That's the word, or common descendancy. You could work, we're all descendants or we have one common ancestor. You could word it either way. And that this happened uh, in survival of the fittest is what we came to call natural selection in which nature preserved the best genetic characteristics that would enable a species to survive to reproduce, okay? And that as this, these uh, mutations, and they have to be beneficial when we know most mutations are deleterious, but, but it would have to be beneficial. All of these mutations are preserved over billions of years, and that's what gives them the possibility of this because for some, you have to acknowledge it's not even in billions of years enough time for this to happen if it were possible. But this is what they would argue gradually over time even produced humans. Now then that leaves the question of, well then, how do Christian theistic evolutionists maintain that we're created in the image of God? Well, there are different ways that they do that. Some, the planned evolutionists who say that God front-loaded everything, would say that sin has always existed and that over time, eventually, these humanoids become what we call humans with increasing brain capacity and became self-aware and aware of their moral state. There was no literal fall, no event, so to speak, in which mankind rebelled, but it's a gradual emergence of awareness. And, and, and so that right there is one issue that those of us that are creationists have is so now you're saying that the entirety of Genesis written as poetry written as allegory but not accurate it's actually and they wouldn't say accurate they would say it's mythological it draws probably on other creation stories by Babylonian myths of its time instead of being the source that informs other uh, myths and they would say that in not merely poetic because Tim has just said that Old Earth creationists may believe that it's more poetic. I have no problems with, with seeing there's Hebrew poetic style within Genesis 1 and 2. To say that that is the case is not to say that it's not historical in my right, view. Right, sure. It can still be a narrative and that information be transmitted in a poetic, memorable form. Remember, the Hebrew people memorize vast tracts of material. The Hebrew boys, to enter the prayer quorum by the, what, by the time of their mar mitzvah, had to memorize vast tracts of Torah. How better to do that? How do we teach our children songs? We can teach them facts, we can teach them history, and we can teach them science, and we can do it in a rhythmical way. Now, for the Hebrew poetic form, was not 
rhyme. It was more like parallelism, which we'll see in the in the Psalms. And Brother Tim could probably point out some examples that I can't draw up right now. But it was a different poetry was a different style of writing for them than it is for us. But there were metaphors used and similes. Uh, your lips are like a rose. So the, that kind of thing was used also. But that doesn't mean that the first two chapters are, cannot be historical, even though there's figurative sure. language in it. Right. And so uh, that's what the theistic evolutionists, where they would cross the line, I think, in terms of their view of scripture. And that is, it's not merely using poetic uh, language. It's not merely using figurative language to speak about hi historical events. And so that some of those we may misinterpret and think it meant a literal 24-hour day when it mm -hmm. meant a longer period of time. They're actually saying it's mythological. Okay, and then some go so far as to say that the scripture is correct and accurate in all its doctrinal assertions, theological assertions about God, but because it's written by human hands, there may be scientific and historical errors. Okay, so that's totally distinct from what the old earth creationists say. To me, there's a vast gap between those two right. views. Mm -hmm. That is not between young earth and old earth creationism, despite what my young earth creationist brothers would mm -hmm. accuse me of in terms of compromise here. So this is what they would argue and that there was no literal fall. And so there may have been actually a group of 10,000 or so humanoids into whom God infused a, uh, a spirit. If he if they take the direct evolution, directed evolutionist, God may have intervened that way. If it was planned evolution, then it was set up ahead of time and came about naturally with no intervention directly by God at all, which to me creates even more of a problem. Okay, uh, So the directed evolutionists at least have God intervening to make man out of humanoids a distinct a distinct kind, but I think there are other problems that arise. And then uh, the non-teleological evolutionists, I just write them off. The people like John Haught and those who tend to say that God just sort of develops uh, along having an infinite and a finite pole in his being, whatever that means, um, that he develops along and is pulling creation along to higher and higher planes um, is, is just, it's like psychic psychological babble, psychobabble to me. And I, I, I don't hold weight. I don't think that's a theistic God. I wouldn't even properly call that theistic evolutionist uh, view, even though they put themselves under theistic evolution. That's not even a theistic God, in my opinion. So those are the three main views, young earth creationism, old earth creationism, and theistic evolution, and some subheads under each. Now, do you know any theistic evolutionist in your views? To prove your point that the how question matters, there are very few present in an evangelical church, I think, a theistic evolutionist. So um, I think the pretty much the only ones there are trapped. You know, they, they come because of family or they come, you know, for various reasons. But I think they will seek out a, a more liberal church. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we don't see many, many in our pews in an evangelical church, those who believe in theistic evolution. I think it's too uncomfortable an environment for them. So that, that, that helps me with that, you know, proving your, your statement that the how question matters. So what we're, what we're seeing is younger generations go off to college. They've been taught one viewpoint. They've been taught young earth creation. This is what they've been taught. So then they go to college they take a biology class and this is happening in high school too. I'm not, not just college, but yeah. so they, they go to a class, they see evidence that doesn't necessarily support the earth being 6,000 years old. 
and they go, well, one is right and one is wrong. And so then they're presented with more and more evidence that the earth is 14 billion years old. So then they completely discount the viewpoint that the earth is 6,000 years old. How do we have these conversations? And we've talked about this before. How do we have these conversations with people without losing them to completely dismiss one or the other? How do we have these conversations with our children, our grandchildren, perhaps our friends, perhaps somebody that's new that moves to your area or comes to your church? that has this viewpoint and they're being fed this information from one viewpoint and they've not considered the other one, they've already discounted it as this is being false. How do we reconcile that? How do we... It's a great question. Um, And I think it even is complicated by the fact that most don't arrive at their conclusions intellectually. I think they're, they're choosing that which is cool. You know, that they're conforming to people that they want to be liked by, you know, whether it's the student body or the professors or whatnot. So it's, it's really a borrowed philosophy. Um, I think it shows that, that also back at the church, um, they never took ownership of their faith. They were mm-hmm. borrowing uh, the belief system of their parents or the pastor. And so, you know, the pastor got replaced with a professor. Uh, the parents got replaced with a sorority or a fraternity or friends or whatnot. So it comes back to relationship. I mean, the idea of uh, living out authentically what you believe. It's taking the long view of influencing them with their life, um, praying, you know, prayer, prayer for them. And that's, you know, that's a a given that we need to bathe uh, the environment that our kids are in with prayer. And that prayer may lead to a pig pen. You know, the college experience or the work experience or the marriage Uh, might turn into a pig pen where hopefully they'll come to their senses and then they'll have a home to return to, you know, keeping that relationship with them, not, not drawing lines and saying, if you don't agree with me on this, then I I don't have anything to do with you. Uh, You know, maintaining a relationship as they go through these rabbit holes and praying them out of them and being consistent living out your faith where they can see that it's authentic. I have a nephew, for example, who um, was a youth pastor when he was in college and then went to another school, came under the influence of the professors, uh, turned his back on his faith. He's the kind of guy who's 100% for something until he's 100% opposed to it. And now he's in his late 30s and he's putting the putting it all together, and he's returning to his faith. He, he can see not just what was wrong about his upbringing, but what was good. So it's just a, it's a long, gradual process, and his mother has, has prayed him through every step of the way. It's difficult. you know. It, really it, is. it is a difficult thing. Uh, Dr. Scribner, do you have, as someone who's taught high school students at a, at a private school, and you've taught apologetics, I know these conversations have come up where you've had to answer these difficult questions. Can you give us maybe for lack of a better word, your favorite example of a conversation that you had with a student that led to a positive outcome? I've had some good conversations. I want you to know that in the school that I taught in, it was a private Christian school, but it was not a covenantal school. One of those, a covenantal school would be where you usually have to have at least one parent who's a Christian to be in there. And, and it, it's a, a Christian discipleship more model where ours was missional. So we had foreign exchange students who were atheists who walked in. One of my students walked in, came from China, he's standing in the hall and he goes, I just want you to know I'm an atheist. I said, atheists can make an A in my Bible class. 
-hmm. If they can understand what I'm saying and say mm -hmm. it back that they understood what I was saying, I will, you get an A. It's not about converting. However, that is the same student, which is my best story. When I began to show, um, I wish I could remember the name of the movie because you can buy these uh, through one of the creationist organizations, uh, the DVDs about the Cameron explosion, and he realized that his own people had found, uh, the scientists in his own country had found that these body plans were not all transitional with the, all the fossils that fit between them, but instead that they were embodied groupings of different kinds that took down that final block in intellectually so that his heart could respond to the Lord. And I don't know what's happened to him in his walk with Christ after he returned with chi to China. I don't know. I don't know if this is a true God transformational story or if he was caught up in emotions. I, I have no idea. But I know that for me, watching him ask me about the Trinity the first day in class, how it was illogical, trying to explain to me the multiverse and how that could have explained the beginning of anything until we dismantled that quickly when we realized that no matter how many multiverses there are, that, that one needs a cause that can't be infinite because by definition they're finite and have a beginning. You know, otherwise you're arguing for an eternal universe in Right now, the scientific evidence isn't leaning that way. So, you know, whenever he realized I was speaking his language from a scientific vantage point, I wasn't just saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, but I was saying, I believe my Bible is true. And listen, here's some, some, some reasons that you can go to within the natural world, which is apologetics, draws on the natural world, uh, and we call that general revelation that's available by God's common grace to all of us. Here's some evidence in the natural world that actually says, hmm, the Bible just might be right here. And what the Bible is saying is true. And when he began to deal with that and face, face what the natural world was saying, that he could experience, see with his senses, his eyes, his ears, his intellect, and appraise, then that block came down and he was able to appraise the gospel and consider it seriously. And that's all we're asking. Whenever we, our college kids come home and they say, I don't believe in God anymore. And that can happen within the first nine weeks. I cannot tell you how many stories out there within the first nine weeks. Folks, if you've got young children, you need to be getting them into the reasons for their faith, not just what to believe, but why to believe it. Yeah. And the, you've got Mama Bear Apologetics out there. Women, you've got Life Givers Apologetics book by me, which is just uh, self-published, but it's on Amazon. You've got um, how to keep your Kids on God's Side by Natasha Crane. A lot of these are written by women, mamas. Yeah. You've got women apologists out here who are investing their life in making sure that your kids understand how to answer these hard questions. Because let me tell you, as I told every parent who said, your Bible class is too hard. They shouldn't have to work hard to make a grade in Bible class. They wanted it to be Sunday school. I said, you have no idea what your child is going to face when they leave your home. You have no idea what's about to come, Mother dear, because your child is going to, there's an absolute determined onslaught by Christian, by non-Christian professors who say they're going to tear and dismantle your child's Christian faith. That is their whole goal. They're nice people. They believe they're right. They're not doing it out of uh, animus or angriness towards you. They just believe you're a fool. Right. They look at the Christian community and those that believe in a young earth creed that it's not even a possibility. It's just an ignorance. It's because ignorance. you've not been taught science. You haven't had basic right. science classes. And right. listen, Garrett, y'all have talked mm -hmm. about this. Christians are no, are no longer just stupid. They're evil. 
in our society. With the coming in of Marxist thinking, mm-hmm. right. we, we are a plague on society that needs to be gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Now, our Afghani brothers and sisters right now, I'm told by someone who knows some missionaries there, are going door to door. Some of our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are choosing to stay and share the gospel door to door, knowing their time will be shortened. I'm praying not just mm-hmm. for them, but for their children, that they, their children will be galvanized in faith, even if they're taken by the Taliban. So yeah. we've never faced this, but you just need to understand when Brother Tim talks about these things, these are not scare tactics. This is what's happening, and it's happening through academia as well as Hollywood. But That's our biggest opponent right now is academia. Yeah. I, a friend of mine who's a public school counselor had an eighth grade girl who's special needs. Uh, she's in special ed. She's special ed. She's a special ed class. She has a hard time getting math and science, and but she's chosen the LGBT lifestyle. And he said that she can articulate it on a level that he believed 95% of the church could not combat scripturally. And so that's important to her. And so she's learned the terminology. She's learned everything about that particular lifestyle. We, we can answer we, this, though. Right, this is, we can answer it, but, can. But, but, we're not, but we're dumbing down for our kids and not teaching them the basics of the Bible, like you said, uh, the way the enemy is indoctrinating them on their subject matter. And we don't need to wait until they're in high school or college. Mm-hmm. If you, if any of you remember the show, maybe it's still on, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth graders are highly intelligent. And I taught fifth grade uh, Bible study on Wednesday night, and I taught them as they were adults. And they appreciated that because they'd been taught Sunday school all their lives with the same stories, and they knew them. When we start talking about these issues about creation – their eyes light up and all of a sudden they want to come and they're engaged because they're already asking these questions of each other and of their teachers at school in any school, whether it's a private school or a public school, it doesn't matter. So we can't wait until they're in high school and college to start these conversations. We've got to start younger and younger because those that have an agenda uh, that have a goal to dismantle Christianity are starting younger and younger and younger. And you've got resources that you can use. Listen, I'm mm-hmm. a grandmama. I've got 10 grandbabies. Someone said to me, uh, um, why did you get your Ph.D.? What are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to teach my grandbabies better than I could before. No, that's good. I may never make a dime at this, and that's a lot of money to spend, but I tell you what, one of the things I'm, I'm urging grandparents to do, your mamas and daddies are tired. When we're mamas and daddy face, we're just trying to get through the day. But I take my grandsons now, uh, the oldest one is nine who lives in Georgia. I have an older one who I don't get to spend as much time with. But the nine-year-old, we, I asked their mama to set aside 30 minutes of time at the end of the day where I can go in with them and help put them to bed, which helps her out, okay? So when we're visiting, I say, any questions? Brayden, what questions do you have? And even Drewby, who's only five, he asks crazy questions that don't make any sense, but he still wants to ask the questions. Isn't that good? Okay, so I may not understand the question, but I'm... I'm affirming him asking it and so we talk about the questions about how could God send people to hell or does God have a body or uh, what happens to people when they die and and how how is it that we live after death when our bodies stay here that mean they ask me hard questions I'm starting to document them because I want to have better answers and listen folks I wasn't a Christian apologist and that just means someone who practices learning how to answer the hard questions about the faith in order to mm-hmm. disciple other Christians and to share with the lost who have questions. That's all an apologist is. But I didn't have all of these answers when my kids were growing up. 
oh, how I regret it. Fortunately, they've not walked away from the faith. You know, fortunately, they're all still believers. And uh, two of them are extremely active in ministry. Um, And one of them is hanging in there, I would say. But, Mm. but, I didn't have all of this, these tools, and now we have them. Mm-hmm. So we can do this. So I would encourage you, bedtime's a great time. You know why? Your kids want to stay up five minutes extra, <laughs> and they will do right. anything to do that. Yeah. And so if you That's chisel good. out a few extra minutes, move that to bedtime mm-hmm. back, where that harried, did they brush their teeth and actually brush their teeth or smell their breath and sit, where I get through all of that. You got to allow enough time for that where you get them in bed and they're just calming down and you sit down and then you say, well, what's up? Okay, ask me anything about God. Now you don't have to know the answers because you're the mama who can say, that's a great question. You do this with your college students. I'm so glad you have asked that question. What do you mean you're not a believer anymore? Your panic's rising in your throat. You want to panic, the knots in your throat, but you don't. You say, tell me about that, because I am so excited that you're determined, if you're going to believe in Jesus, that it's going to be your own faith, not one I pass down to you. I am so proud of you for asking those hard questions. Start there and affirm their ability and their need to be able to express, I'm doubting. Keeps the relationship going. going. Because they may be saying that because they been influenced by someone they have no idea that you're willing to engage them on this level and if you don't know the answer that you've got people that you can depend on who are in the uh, podcast community who are in the book writing community who are there to support you and there are now hundreds of us and folks like i said now many of them are women and that's right. really Amen. helpful because that they're speaking good. to women in a women's voice. Amen. All the information is the same, mm-hmm. but we, we get what being a mama is like. Yes, and right. so that's, we can come along our bro- mm-hmm. side, our brothers, and do this for you. So call on us. You've got my email. Write me, and we'll help Just out. as a reminder, and thank you. We're, we're out of time. We could spend all day doing this. This is so much fun. Very good. Uh, Pastor Tim Everett, thank you. Thank Dr. You. Tricia Scribner, one more time, uh, tell our listeners how they can find you yeah. online in your books. TriciaScribner.com. My books, I have a Life Givers Apologetics book on ImpactApologetics.com. Impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, Apologetics.com. Now, it's on Amazon, but I love Impact Apologetics. That's the Frank Turex uh, website uh, for all things Who's apologetics. He's a great resource. He's yeah, a yeah. great resource. And his wife, Stephanie, you can end up talking to her. She's, she runs the bookstore. <laughs> so that, that book, um, and you can reach me at Speaks at yahoo.com, T-R-I-C-I-A, speaks at yahoo.com, all together by email. Thank you very much both for being here. We've had a, a wonderful time together uh, in these two sessions, and we've got much more to come. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening.